silencing the lambs. When animism was the dominant belief system, human norms and values had to take into consideration the outlook and interests of a multitude of other beings, such as animals, plants, fairies, and ghosts. For example, a forager band in the Ganges, Ganges rather, valley may have established a rule forbidding people to cut down a particularly large fig tree, lest the fig tree spirit become angry and take revenge. Another forager band living in the Lindus Indus Valley may have forbidden people from hunting white-tailed foxes because a white-tailed fox once revealed to a wise old woman where the band might find a precious obsidian. Such religions tended to be very local in outlook and to emphasize the unique features of specific locations, climates, and phenomena. Most foragers spent their entire lives within an area of no more than a thousand square miles. In order to survive, the inhabitants of a particularly rather particular valley needed to understand the superhuman order that regulated their valley and to adjust their behavior accordingly. It was pointless to try to convince the inhabitants of some distant valley to follow the same rules. The people of the Indus did not bother to send missionaries to the Ganges to convince locals not to hunt white-tailed foxes. The agricultural revolution seems to have been accompanied by a religious revolution. Hunter-gatherers picked and pursued wild plants and animals, which could be seen as equal in status quo, rather status to Homo sapiens. The fact that man hunted sheep did not make sheep inferior to man, just as the fact that tigers hunted man did not make man inferior to tigers. Beings communicated with one another directly and negotiated the rules governing their shared habitat. In contrast, Farmers owned and manipulated plants and animals and could hardly degrade themselves by negotiating with their possessions. Hence, the first religious effect of the agricultural revolution was to turn plants and animals from equal members of spiritual roundtable into property. This, however, created a big problem Farmers may have desired absolute control of their sheep, but they knew perfectly well that their control was limited. They could lock the sheep in pens, castrate rams and perfectly selectively breed ewes, yet they could not ensure that the ewes conceived and gave birth to healthy lambs, nor could they prevent the eruption of deadly epidemics. How, then, to safeguard the fecundity of the flocks? 
A leading theory about the origin of gods argues that gods gained importance because they offered a solution to this problem. Gods such as the fertility goddess, the sky god, and the god of medicine took center stage when plants and animals lost their ability to speak. And the gods' main role was to mediate between humans and the mute plants and animals. Much of ancient mythology is in fact a legal contract in which humans promise everlasting devotion to the gods in exchange for mastery over plants and animals. The first chapters of the book of Genesis are a prime example. For thousands of years after the agricultural revolution, religious liturgy consisted mainly of humans sacrificing lambs, wine, and cakes to divine powers, who in exchange promised abundant harvests and fecund flocks. The agricultural revolution initially had a far smaller impact on the status of other members of the animist system, such as rocks, springs, ghosts, and demons. However, these too gradually lost status in favor of the new gods. As long as people lived their entire lives within limited territories for a few hundred square miles, most of their needs could be met by local spirits. But once kingdoms and trade networks expanded, people needed to contact entities whose power and authority encompassed a whole kingdom or an entire trade basin. The, the attempt to answer these needs led to the appearance of polytheistic religions, from the Greek poly, which is many, theos, which is God. These religions understood the world to be controlled by a group of powerful gods, such as the fertility goddess, the rain god, and the war god. Humans could appeal to these gods, and the gods might if they received devotions and sacrifices deigned to bring rain, victory, and health. Animism did not entirely disappear at the advent of polytheism. Demons, fairies, ghosts, holy rocks, holy springs, and holy trees remained an integral part of almost all polytheist religions. These spirits were far less important than the great gods. But for the mundane needs of many ordinary people, they were good enough. While the king in his capital city sacrificed dozens of fat rams to the great war god, praying for victory over the barbarians, the peasant in his hut lit a candle to the fig tree fairy, praying that she help cure his sick son. Yet the greatest impact of the rise of great gods was not on sheep or demons, but upon the status of homo sapiens. Animists thought that humans were just one of many creatures inhabiting the world. Polytheists, on the other hand, 
increasingly saw the world as a reflection of the relationship between gods and humans. Our prayers, our sacrifices, our sins, and our good deeds determine the fate of the entire ecosystem. A terrible flood might wipe out billions of ants, grasshoppers, turtles, antelopes, giraffes, and elephants just because a few stupid sapiens made the gods angry. Polytheism thereby exalted not only the status of the gods, but also that of humankind. Less fortunate members of the old animist systems lost their stature and became either extras or silent decor in the great drama of man's relationship with the gods.